Father, we just come to you, Lord, this morning. We just want to thank you. We just praise you, Lord. We just praise you for all that you give us every day of our life. Even today, life is a gift, an act of mercy. None of us were blameless in your sight to be worthy of life today. No one. But to stretch forth your scepter, you extended mercy towards us. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You brought us all these five months. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Everything that we have has come from you, Lord. There's nothing we can give back to you other than our whole lives back. Thank you, Father. We thank you. We thank you for Kirti. We thank you for Dr. David Beulah. We pray that you would bless them. We thank you for Brother Wilson, Lord. Tomorrow he turns another year in his life. I pray that you would touch him, empower him, Lord. Oh, Father, go with us, Lord. Go before us, Lord. We all need you, Lord. We all need you. We all need you. Even the ministry of the word, please, to hear from you. For only you can take us through. We really have not gone this way before. And there is so much confusion outside, deliberately created confusion by the enemy. But you are our light. Your life is our light. Go with us, Lord. Go before us, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us. The still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. Speak to us even now. Your people everywhere need to hear. Each one's situation may not be the same, but we all need to hear from you. You are the way maker. You are the healer. You are the deliverer. You are the redeemer. You are the one who destroys the powers of darkness. Speak to us, Lord, today. Open heavens is what we pray for. But there is nothing blocking us from hearing from you. Open eyes, open ears, open heart. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We've been looking at... uh, the Spirit of God, the Kingdom of God, the power, the Holy Spirit is both person and it's also power. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 2, that's not the text for today, but as we read from verse 1, we look at the church, how the church began. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. That's how it all began. When the day fully came, when that day fully comes, they were all together. They were all together in one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then appeared to them 
divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. Every one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So God had planned it all out. That's how the church began. He picked a place. He picked a time. And the day was picked by him. There in Jerusalem where, because the gospel had to first go to the Jews. And he picked the day of Pentecost. And they were all there from every corner. That's how the gospel would go through the Jews who saved to the ends of the world. It would go because it was first to them. But if you look over there, you will see the Holy Spirit came upon them as a mighty wind and has fire, the power and the fire. And if you go to Luke chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, John the Baptist had told about this. He had prophesied about this. John answered, saying to all, Indeed, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He said it very clearly. God will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that was symbolic of the mighty wind and fire. But the problem is, whenever we hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we talk about... Uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, when we ask, we leave the fire out. We leave the fire out. Where scripture says, and fire. And fire. So that fire function of the Holy Spirit, unlike the rest of the function of the Holy Spirit, seems to be different from the rest. Rest. And uh, it is the fire that will take you till the end. We know there are two things that is needed before the end of Jesus Christ or the end of uh, this age comes where Jesus comes back again. One is, Jesus, Jesus said, the gospel has to be preached to the ends of the world and the end will come. The second is, the bride has to be ready. She's the only one who can hasten the coming of Jesus Christ. And if you look at it this, for both of this, you need both power and you need fire. Okay. We see people often flaming like you put wood and pour a cap full of petrol over it and you put it, it blazes and then it is gone. But we are not talking about that fire. We are talking about something that is steady throughout. And that's what you have to ask for. Lord, I need this steady fire. Steady fire. That I never lose your zeal, my zeal for you zeal for you, you know. We are not shooting stars. We are not shooting stars. We are consumed by this zeal for God. And that's what you have to look into your own personal lives too. That is how you look and say, do I have this consistent zeal for God? Do I have this consistent zeal for God? Do I get distracted easily? No. What causes this distraction? That's the fire we are talking about. The second part of the fire is, it's a fire that purifies. Okay, how does the bride get ready? The bride has to be without spot. She is blameless. Okay, so Malachi will talk about the Holy Spirit suddenly coming. Uses two words over there. 
refiner's fire and launderer's soap. These are two different aspects. The launderer's soap basically works at the surface. Surface. The refiner's fire does much more deeper work, which is embedded into you. you know, nobody swallows a soap. Okay? You apply it on the surface, outward, outside, right? But the, the refiner's fire is not that. The whole thing is put it into the fire. And everything and the impurities all surface and he takes it off. Okay? So we need to realize there are two fires in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. And we need both. We need both. And people are very afraid to ask for the fire of the Holy Spirit. They all want power. They want the mighty wind. They want the mighty wind, but they don't want fire. And you will always look at the men of God who sustained, okay, sustained. Like I was telling in the Hindi service, on Nepali service, Samson had the mighty wind. He did not have fire. And therefore he was destroyed. He was destroyed by the enemy's fire. King Saul had the mighty wind. He prophesied and he had, he had his great victories, but he did not have fire. So he was destroyed. He was destroyed. Okay. King David had that zeal for God. It's one of the first things you notice about King David is he's there now. Cause he's always zealous for God. So even though he falls a few times, he always springs back because the fire never goes. And he always asks for that fire back. You know? So please understand fundamental principles of the kingdom of God. How do I run this journey? Because remember, Today we will look at why is those fire so important? How do we get that fire back? Because one of the most important personalities in the old covenant is the prophet Elijah. Elijah. And you will always see there is no way you can set people free unless you encounter powers of darkness. See, one of the reasons the gospel has failed in India, the gospel has failed in India, is because the servants of God in India refuse to tackle the powers of darkness. So it fails. Okay? It's a battle. It's a battle. It's a real battle. And those battles have to be engaged. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 12, verses 28 and 29. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. But how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? You see, because certain things, what we need to realize is Jesus' ministry is like this. He doesn't reveal everything to everybody because it's very dangerous. Like the sons of Skivas, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Okay, so he sh he's showing us something. He says, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, he says, you know, his ministry is like that. Okay, and he says, how do I cast out the demons? By the Spirit of God. You know this kingdom of God has come upon you. And then he tells you how it, he says, but do you know how I do that? You see me casting the demons out. But do you know how I do that? 
is because I first bind the strong man. You know, when he bound the strong man, early in the morning in his prayer closet, he bound the strong man and then came out to minister. Okay. Unless you bind the strong man, you cannot release the people. Release the people. And you will see early in the morning, every day he arises and he spends his time in the prayer closet. It's a spiritual battle. He wins that battle every day. Then he comes out and people receive the blessings down. So he's teaching us something. And this is a pattern continuously in the Bible. Unless Moses and Aaron confront the sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt and overcome them, Israel is not going to go free. And the enemy has power. Israel cannot come out. You have to defeat the enemy's power. First, three times, it is mukabla. Okay? They're matching each other. And after that, they bind the enemy's power. And the enemy is not able to move. Okay? And the finger of God comes. They also acknowledge this. is They don't know the spirit of God. So they say, this is the finger of God. We can't do anything. Let them go. Okay, so you need to realize, now you do not have those people out in the front. They are all at the back, hidden. But it does not change. It does not change. The battle is the same. If you do not win our battle in our prayer closets, we will not win our battle outside. We always, it's off-repeated uh, repeated, uh, illustrations. Before David can finish, Goliath, who is out in the open, he has to kill the lion and the bear in the secret. Nobody knows that. Okay, Daniel has to win his battle in the prayer closet so that the lion's mouths are shut. The lions are not going to touch him because he's bound the power. He's overcome the powers behind. And Jesus is making it very clear. And this is where we fail. We fail in our prayer closet. We struggle with that. The other part we want. Other want. You know, if you go back to what the disciples asking Jesus teach us to pray, not the, not the sermon on the mount, the other place. You know? Yeah, not not uh, Matthew, the other one. Yeah, just see where it is. You will see them. Asking. Got it? Okay. It came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he sees that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, what did they say? No, look at the question again. Yeah, you know what they're saying? He didn't say teach us how to pray. He said teach us to pray. We don't know what is to prayer is. After looking at your life, we realize we don't even know what prayer is. <laughs> we thought we were all praying people. But when we see your prayer, we realize we don't know even how to pray. We don't know. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. They looked, looked at his prayer life. You know, they are the only ones you knew. But you know, they said all this, but till his last day, they still didn't pray. 
Okay, it's only after he rises again, they learn to pray. So get this picture very, very clearly. On when the Adrephidim, when the enemy comes to attack, the Amalekites come to attack, they prevail only because Moses prays. Moses' hands are lifted up. And there is an Aaron and a Her. We looked at that too. That's the only reason they prevail. And this is the most difficult part. The most difficult part. Try to get people locked down to pray. I mean, God has locked us down. So five months are over. But the question is, let's ask about our own church, GDC, India, worldwide, wherever. How many people have learned to pray in these five months? And the lockdown was one of the most beautiful opportunities God gave us. Everybody's locked down. Everything is locked down. All right. Have we learned to pray? Okay. God gave us this opportunity. So you will see there, first battle in the wilderness is also won because of prayer. And then Israel, you know, look at Israel's history. Israel has gone down so far. They are being ruled according to God's word. The most evil king so far, that is Ahab, who's married an even more evil woman called Jezebel. And Israel has gone into idolatry, complete. That is when the great man, great praying man appears. Okay. Elijah is important, very, very important. In Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. Jesus says this about Elijah. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So we see Elijah is a picture. When Israel went into idolatry, Elijah is the one God used to bring them back to God. Elijah is the one, the spirit of Elijah, the same spirit that was upon Elijah is the one that was upon John that brought the people to Jesus. He is the way maker for Jesus. And the people come. And then scripture says again. Before the dreadful day of the Lord. The same spirit will operate. The same spirit will operate. Okay. So we do never discount the patterns in the Old Testament. And we learn. And one of the things we learn from the Old Testament about Elijah is. How did the people come back? They came back. Because of fire. That's how the people came back. And we also need to realize. There has to be an encounter. With the powers of darkness. The prophets of Baal. There has to be a real encounter. It may be in your own prayer closets. It's not like going to be Elijah. Where it is a very visible sign. But there has to be an encounter. Where the powers of darkness are bound. And the prophets of Baal are destroyed. And the fire will fall. The fire will fall. And once the fire falls, the people will destroy the prophets of Baal. The fire has to fall. There is no other way. There is no other way. And if you look at First Kings chapter 17 and verse 1, when Elijah is first introduced to us, Elijah the Tishbite of inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. That's how he is introduced to us. James chapter 5 and verse 17 will give us the spiritual introduction of this man. This is a physical 
Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and six months, 42 months. Okay. So if you look at Elijah's ministry, Elijah's ministry began with a lockdown. Israel has been locked out of God. No rain, no dew. These are symbols of the Holy Spirit. No moving of the Holy Spirit in the land. Okay. Life is going on normal downstairs, but down, but the Holy Spirit has been locked out. And God uses this man to say, no rain, no dew. So it begins with the lockdown. And scripture says, he's a man of prayer. Okay. It doesn't say he's a man of powerful preaching. No, it doesn't say. We hardly know anything about uh, Elijah's message. Okay, we know nothing. Even John the Baptist was not a great preacher. But if he was of the same caliber, you know definitely he was a man of prayer. Okay? Elijah is a man of prayer. He hears, he obeys. <laughs> 42 months, heavens is locked up. Remember, in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist will also lock down for 42 months, three and a half years, the second half of the worst part of tribulation. 42 months. So the pictures are there. The pictures are there. And Israel is now going to go through what God had told through Moses. When you turn away from me, this is what your life will be like. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 23. Your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze. And the earth which is under you shall be iron. Okay. It's talking about a spiritual condition. Heaven is bronze. No prayers are going up. No answer from heaven. It's blocked. And down life is so difficult. Earth is like iron. Okay. Yet during this entire season, Elijah is hidden. Elijah is hidden. And then he is brought out by God. Okay. At his appointed time. In 1st Kings chapter 18, we will see Elijah will come out. We are not looking at that detail. We look at it in detail in the coming days. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. So we know three years and six months are over. Okay, or almost six months are over. Go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. Okay, he says present yourself, yeah. Okay, keep coming down. Elijah went to present himself to Ahab and there was severe famine in summer. Look, this is how the man of God. He knows for three and a half years the king is looking for him to kill him. He sent soldiers to every country. And then the, gods, the Lord says, go present yourself. Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of the house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord. So you see something happening over during this time. There is Ahab, there is Jezebel, and Jezebel has been destroying the servants of God. Badiah had hidden hundred prophets, hidden them. Okay, please understand this, because why this is so important is, in the last days, last days, these two spirits will manifest. The spirit of Ahab, and the spirit of Jezebel. This is the woman riding the beast. Riding the beast. 
Okay, if you look in Revelation, you will see nobody notices the beast. It's the woman who is noticed. She is the condemned. You will look over here. It doesn't say, it never does it say about Ahab destroying the prophets of God. It is Jezebel who destroys the prophets of God. If you look at it, further down, if you look at it, you will see the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asura. They ate at Jezebel's table. Okay? Okay. So you have to handle these two spirits. These two spirits. If you don't handle these spirits, okay, Elijah will cut and run. He doesn't cut and run before Ahab. He runs before Jezebel. Okay? He runs before Jezebel. Understand that. It is not enough you confront the spirit of Ahab. You have to confront the spirits of Jezebel. Then only you will overcome. Okay? You will overcome. You have to confront this both. And you will see these pictures throughout in the Bible. And uh, let's come further down. So Elijah meets the divided Ahab on one way, or by the way, and the other way by himself. Yeah, come further down. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face. Is that you, my lord, Elijah? Okay, now if you look at Obadiah, Obadiah is a prophet, he's a man who fears God. But he's, the problem is, he aligns himself with God and with Ahab. One side he has secretly hidden hundred prophets of God and feeding them, but he's serving Ahab. Okay, so you will see the nature of the people, even the godly people, when the spirit of Ahab operates, they're double minded. They'll swing this way and that way. They fear God, but they fear Ahab too. Is that you, my Lord Elijah? And verse 8. He answered him, it is, I go tell your master, Elijah is here. He said, how have I seen that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? Hmm? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation on the kingdom where master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. Now, if you actually study Israel's history, Israel prospered during Ahab's time, until the famine came. Okay, David's time, Solomon's time, Ahab's time, Israel prospered. It's very powerful. Okay, go tell your master Elijah is here. It shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go, so see, these people know all these things, but they still serve Ahab. They know about the prophetic. They know about the power of the Holy Spirit, the miracle. All these things they know. So when I go to tell Ahab, he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth, but still serve Ahab. You know? Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? Didn't, didn't anybody tell you all these things? Now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here, he will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Now this is what you need to realize. 42 months have gone by of complete lockdown. The land is suffering. 
still hasn't changed the heart of man. And that's what we are talking about. Five months of lockdown is over. Has there been a qualitative shift in the attitudes of your heart towards God? That's a question people have to ask. We are not talking about the new ones who came in. They are all new, young ones in the Lord, all excited and all. Okay, that's not. We are talking about the ones who have been in the kingdom for a long time. What have these five months done to you? Have you seen the hand of God? Has it really changed your life or is it still the same thing? Let me ask this simple question. Do you wake up a little more early now to pray? Do you search the word of God with more intensity now for answers to what the world is facing or is it still the same? This is the issue. This man, if you look at it, is a man who will take no responsibility for what is happening. Is that you a troubler of Israel? Verse 18, he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Look at it. Look at, look at the whole picture of the, what, is, what is happening over there. If you look at the picture. Okay. He turns around and blames Elijah. Is Elijah responsible for this? In one way, yes, he locked the heavens up. But why did he lock it up? Because God said so. So, in short, God locked up the heavens. It's not Elijah. Elijah is just a mouthpiece. God locked it up. So, you're still blaming God. I mean, to be, to be political, if you look at it, last week was four days convention of the DNC in US. Four days. All four days. Who is responsible for all the problems in US? Trump. Day one, Trump. Day two, Trump. Day three, Trump. Day four, Trump. Four days you got free advertisement. They didn't speak one word about the issues that are actually facing the country. Not one word. Really they spoke. You have to see the, it's, it, it's the same spirit, the duplicity of it. You have to see the duplicity of it. To the point, Governor Cuomo calls the virus European virus and not China virus. Has the virus came from Europe? They actually call it the European virus. Deflection. Not one word was mentioned about China in four days. One word. It's very strange if you look. Not one word was mentioned about the burning and the looting and the attacks that are going around in those cities run by Democrats. Not one word. You are not able to address the same issues. It's just the blame game. It's the blame game. This is what happens with Ahab and Jezebel. You see, Ahab is the front. The power behind is Jezebel. Okay, please understand. Ahab is the front. But does it, 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 it's a spiritual, this is a physical picture. Spiritual picture will be different. In the, at the end, the beast will destroy Jezebel. Jezebel is just used as a prop to get the words. To get the power. And Jezebel is fooled. Jezebel doesn't realize the beast hates Jezebel. Feminists do not understand. Communists hate women. Have you ever heard about a woman leader in any communist nation? They'll finish them off. They, 
They put all these LGBTQ, all these groups. Do you see here about any one of them in the, in the, in the communist nations? No. You don't know. They will just use it as a prop. Four years ago, they tried. Jezebel was put in the front. She lost. She lost. This year, they're bringing it from the back. With a weak Ahab in the front. Weak Ahab in the front. They put Jezebel at the back to come to power. It's the same tactic that is being used. This is spiritual games that are going on. Like, I'm not saying Trump is uh, Elijah. He's not. For me, he's more like Jehu. He's a tough man, a rough man. Jehu is a rough man. He's a tough man. He's not like Elijah, a praying man or anything. But he's a rough man. Okay. So we are seeing parallels happening right before our eyes. Which way will it go? Which way will it go? Which way will it go? And if you, if you, if you look at, this is the way, if you can I have, oh, the board and the pen always disappears. Do I have my secret pen locked up? Pen also disappeared. Oh, these boys need to be spanked. Okay. It's gone. It's okay, it's okay. Don't, don't bother, don't bother. Okay, it's okay. Okay. Why these things are important is if you don't understand these things, it will not work. It simply will not work. What happens is this. I had hidden it so nicely here. Still, they managed to loot. Okay. Okay. This is order. Okay. Children do not have order. Okay. Let me put it across this way. Okay. This is how you have to put this spectrum. Man. Okay. Look at this. Man. Woman. Man. Woman. Okay. If you notice, the devil does not come to man. Doesn't come to man. In the garden of Eden. He goes to woman. He goes to woman. Because man, the devil knows woman is a weaker vessel. It doesn't go to man. He goes to the woman. That's where the fall takes place. So if you look at it, woman, after woman is bisexual. After bisexual is gay and lesbian and transgender. It goes like this. It doesn't go like this. It goes like this. And all of them are emotions. Controlled by emotions. You touch them, they will bite you. They will bite you. And that's how the order goes. If you look at the political spectrum, it is not LGBTQ. It is F first. And it should be bisexual first. When you become bisexual in your mind, you already compromised. You are fallen onto the other side. And that's how they do it. It's bisexual. Even if you are not actively bisexual, you will say it is okay. Each man, his strokes, you go to bisexual. Then you come into gay and lesbian. From bisexual to, you move to the other. And then you have now problem with gender also. You go into transgender. And if you notice about all these people, they are very, very sensitive. You cannot talk to them. You can never talk issues with them. You can never talk issues with them. 
because they will turn it around and make it into an emotional this thing. They will always turn around and accuse you as being homophobic and sexist and you know, anti-woman. They will, but they will never talk the issue, the real issue. You have to realize this is how the devil operates. The devil operates. So the first Ahab and Jezebel is Adam and Eve. First Ahab and Jezebel is Adam and Eve. The devil comes to Eve. Scripture says Adam was not deceived. Adam was not deceived. What does it mean Adam was not deceived? The woman was tempted to become like God. Adam had already swallowed it. He wanted to be like him. But he will not put the fun from him. He will keep the woman in the friend and use her for that. But the Bible says he was not deceived. The woman was deceived. So Ahab is a man who will keep Jezebel in the front. Jezebel in the front. He's the beast upon whom Jezebel rides. So understand pictures in the Bible. Because in the last days, that is the force that is. And all these issues, whether it is militant feminism, militant, transgender, gay, lesbian, LGBTQ, RSTWXYZ, whatever it is, so many. You, know? you, have, to, you have to see their caucuses and the different, uh, different uh, uh, groups who are speaking. One girl came on online and she spoke in the convention in one of the caucuses. I am transgender queen mermaid princess. That's her identity. Now, we feel sorry for them. I mean, I mean, I mean, feel sorry. They're all just mind-blinded people. You know, I feel sorry. You look at the hit, you realize, I mean, you just have to see the DNC four-day convention to know exactly what is happening. Exactly what is happening. You have to see. You look at the Bible, you look at what's happening in academia and the higher learning institutes, and you look at the convention, this is exactly what is happening. And all these issues are brought over and people are caught. People are caught. And we do not realize, and we have to realize, ask ourselves, is that, you know what, none of us are exempt from the operation of these spirits. The question you have to ask is, is it possible for me to sit down and discuss an issue without moving, going around? Can I discuss an issue as an issue? Without deflecting it. What is the issue? The issue is rain. Three and a half years you have known there is no rain. And you know it started after this man spoke to you. So you are meeting that man again and you should be saying, Elijah, it hasn't rained for three and a half years at your word. What is that I can do? No, you are the reason for the trouble. You are the reason for the trouble. And then the shortest acceptance piece, the last day, Joe Biden comes. And speaks exactly the opposite of what they spoke for four days. Empty, unified, light in the midst of darkness. Oh, but the entire four days was darkness. Stop. Entire four days. And the problem is, once your minds are blinded, you will not be able to see through. You'll be able to see through. The deception that is taking place. And the same thing is taking place here in this country. <laughs> in a different way. 
if there is left wing nuts, here are right wing nuts. Same thing. And eyes are so completely blinded. There's no jobs. Millions and millions are starving. There's no jobs at all. Things, economy is on a nose diving down. And you know, everybody is so happy because the temple is being built. How does it feed you? How does it feed you? How they easily deflect the issue. The Chinese are still there, where they are. They haven't moved yet. It's not going to get the news at all. It's no longer newsworthy. The fact that 20 soldiers died doesn't matter. It's no longer newsworthy. See how it's happening. And the, the issue is not these things are happening. The issue is when these things are happening. What's your response? Are you also blinded? Does it cost you to move in your prayer closet, not about China, India, clash in the border law? The eyes of people are blinded. They are not able to even see things are so clear before their eyes, they are not able to see. Okay. These are the spirits that are operating. And that's what is happening over there. And there has to be an encounter. An encounter. Okay. And that's what he says. He says, I have no trouble this way. You and your father's house have in the in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. You went after the gods of this world, the demons. Demons. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. And 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asera who eat at Jezebel's. He was very clear. He didn't say who eat at your table. He knows these prophets are from Jezebel, empowered by her. They eat at her because she is from Itabal's daughter, from the Sidonian king's daughter. She is. So she is brought this here and they is empowered at her table. Okay, Baal and his female counterpart is Asera. 850 prophets. Look at one man. 850 prophets of Baal and Asera. Unless you have an encounter like that. You encounter the powers of darkness in your prayer closet and you defeat them. Eyes of people are not going to be opened. So people don't even understand. People get sometimes wonder, what is that we're calling down fire on the prophets of Baal and Baphomet and the Covens. And the, but the same thing is happening still today. Day and night, 24-7, they don't sleep. They have shift after shift after shift after shift going place. What is to that? To keep the people's eyes blinded keeps people's eyes blind. It's going on. The issue is there are no Elijahs. People ask this question. We have asked this question also before. Where is the God of Elijah? That's not the question to be asked. He's still there. Where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the Elijahs of God who are hidden in their prayer closet and have heard very clearly from God what to do, when to do, when to come out, to whom to confront? Where are the Elijahs of God? Let's go further. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. That's the interesting part. You need to realize, this is the interesting part. Three and a half years, they have been locked out of any blessing. Because it's agricultural land, water is your blessing. There's no water, there is no life. Three and a half years, 
the prophets of God has been killed. All the priests who were there, they have all been massacred by Jezebel. The rest are hidden. Even Obadiah only knows about hundred. He doesn't know about the rest. They are all hidden. Elijah is not to be seen at all. So who was seen? The prophets of Baal and Asherah. They are flooding the land. Their rituals are going on everything. No rain yet. So by three and a half years, people should have known the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah have no power to bring even a drop of water. Yet, they will not choose. Why are they not able to choose? Because their minds have been blinded. They are not able to choose. They are not able to choose. And I see the same thing inside the church. I'm not talking about GTC. I'm talking about the church. After five months of lockdown, people are still caught between two opinions. Between the world and the kingdom of God. All the plans Christians make is also connected with the world and not with the kingdom of God. Two opinions. These are two different ideologies. The world is one. The kingdom of God is one. And for weeks and weeks and weeks we've been praying about and preaching about the kingdom of God. Even our prayer is tuned towards the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus got tired of signs and wonders. Unbelieving generation, you always ask for a sign and a wonder. Meaning, you want healing. It's a sign. But the question God is asking, after your healing, where will you go? Where will you go with your healing? The man with 38 years of infirmity was healed in an instant. And he was found in the temple. Do you go back to God? Does this, have you, did you get a message behind the sign? That's what Jesus is asking. There was a sign. But did you read the message? After you got healed in your body of an infirmity, or you came through five months when people of all ages and communities were being infected and dying like flies in Gandhi Hospital and outside, you were untouched. Did you offer your body to Christ? Is it a small thing that five months have gone by and we don't even have a sniffle? And the same air is full of the same virus. God says, did you get the message? Five loaves of bread and two fish. God put it into his hands. And he multiplied it and 5,000 plus people ate. He said, do you, do you still trust me? Are you willing to put your little into my hand? Or are you still holding it back? He's asking in these five months, haven't you actually lived better? than before when it was open? Didn't I take care of you? Did you lack? Did you lack? Didn't I extend your provision? Didn't I stretch it even more? Did you get the message? These are questions God is asking. And that's what Elijah is asking. How long? It's a question. How long? Long. And these are questions God asked throughout the Bible. Let's go to that. Exodus 10 and verse 3. Exodus chapter 10 and verse 3. Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? How long? Plague after plague after plague. How long? long. 
How long will you hold? Refuse to humble yourself before me. Let the people go. How long? How many more plagues do you need, Pharaoh? Okay. How much more trouble do you need in your life before you will humble yourself and serve God? That's what God is asking. How long? Sometimes these questions need to be asked. Five months are over, 153 days or 55 days after the lockdown actually began. And God is saying, how long? 16, Exodus 16 and verse 28. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? How long? How long? Okay, he's brought them out. They are in the wilderness and they started. How long? These are questions God asks. Numbers 14 and verse 11. Let's ask a few questions. Let's not get into power encounter right now. (laughs) We need to be prepared for that in the prayer closet. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? How long will these people reject me? You know, God takes it very personally. When we reject what he has said. Last Sunday we saw, early in the morning I will seek thee, O Lord. They were talking about. So God says, why don't you seek me early in the morning? You know, early in the morning. Have you tried it? It's not difficult. Don't need an alarm. Don't need an alarm. Have you tried it? No. God says, how long will these people reject me? How long? No. How long? I'm not picking on you or anything, but this is just a symptom. One of the things you kids still haven't got is order. You know, the other half of the hall gets order only on a Saturday evening, have you noticed? Because the camera has turned that side. Notice something? But God says, my eyes are upon you always. And this is one of the fundamental things of the last days. Redeem the time for the days are evil. One of the fundamental things about redeeming the time is you save so much time if you have order in your life. And if you look at Jesus' life, he was a man of order. He knew exactly. Remember that prof I told you long time back? He had a cup and he had three uh, glasses. In one glass were three big stones. In another glass was sand. In the other glass was water. He put this through and then he held this cup and he asked his students, do you think you can fit all these three into this? They all looked at it and said, no, it's not possible. He said, watch. He first took the rocks and put the three rocks in. Then he put the sand and then he poured the water. He says, if you know your priorities in your life, you will be able to fit everything in. The problem is, is, you put the water first. Then you put the rocks, the water spills. 
Then you try to put this sand in. You are totally confused. You said you have to put God first. His kingdom first. And you have to practice it. And then suddenly you will realize everything falls into place. It is a consistent thing in your life. Consistent things. There are things about Jesus. It is written early in the morning he rose when it was still dark. And he began his day that way. Could encounter the powers of darkness. Then he dies. He is buried, put in a borrowed tomb. He rises up and he goes. It's not seen. The disciple Mary Magdalene sees. She runs and goes, tells. Peter and John comes. John runs faster. He reaches. He doesn't go in. Peter comes in. He goes in. And one of the things Peter notices, which is written, is his handkerchief, his headcloth, is wrapped nicely and kept there. That's order. That's order. It's not just left like that and gone. That's order. No? And that's what God is talking about. You look at Jesus' life. Which man in human history has achieved so much in three and a half years? <laughs> he is still reaping the fruit of his labor. No man ever was born with a greater task than his. He didn't eat much. Three and a half years. You know. Taught everything he needed to teach. Did everything Father Father told him to do. Then at the end said, it is finished. Nothing left. Nothing. Meaning, balance sheet is clear. God is telling us things. How long? The reason is we falter between two things. We sit in the middle. How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me? 14.27 Yeah, Numbers 14.27 How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? How long? God says, how long? We need to ask ourselves, no? Our words are complaints? Or thanksgiving and prayer and supplication? Or complaints? And God says, how long? How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? Joshua chapter 18, verse 3. This is to the next generation. The overcoming, so-called overcoming generation. And Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord of your fathers has given you? He's already given it to you. The land is still not possessed. How long will you sit like this? Who has to light a fire underneath you before you will move? What more do you need? And if you put it in the spiritual aspect in the new covenant, Jesus has come to give us life. A life in abundance. A life that overcomes the flesh. A life that overcomes the world. A life that overcomes the powers of darkness. How long will you sit like this until you possess that life? How long? The same question. God is asking you to see. How long? How much longer will you wait before you possess the life of Christ Jesus? That life that overcomes. How long is the question God is asking? These are God's questions through men or directly. 
1 Samuel 16 and verse 1. And the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him? A simple question to ask is, how long will you start mourning over people and things God has rejected? You know God has rejected, but you are sentimentally attached. That's what we call a soul type. Sentimentally attached in the soul to those things. God says, how long? This five months may go on to six months, more, we don't know. May go on till November 3rd. If Trump wins, it will go on further. If Trump loses, suddenly the virus will disappear. The riots will cease. Okay. But how long is God is saying? Are we mourning over things which God has rejected in our lives? God said no. Things which God said. Now, are we mourning over those things? Because Saul is flesh. Saul is flesh. David is spirit. Samuel has the opportunity to keep on mourning for Saul or mentor David. He mourns for Saul. He never mentors David. You have a choice. You had so many desires and aspirations in your flesh. God said no to all of it. And then you have your spirit. But you won't mentor your spirit. Even now your prayers are still connected with your flesh. Knowing that God has rejected your flesh. Everybody knows. God has, the spirit of God has rejected the flesh. Yet the desires, the dreams are all connected with the flesh. Even after God locking down. The flesh from being fed for five months. No live football, no live cricket, no live anything. The first live was a four-day horror show. Nothing. And still flesh is waiting. Flesh is just waiting. That's what God is asking. Will you feed David, look at Psalm 106 and verse 15. We looked at it yesterday too. Okay. He gave them their request. Every request is connected with the flesh. If you keep on asking, God will give it to you. But if you looked into their soul, it was dry. Therefore, they failed. The question is, I wish we had soul mirrors. A mirror which can show the status of your soul. Because what we have is mirrors of the body. You know, every angle I look good. What about the soul? If you looked at them, every angle their flesh looked good. None ill. None weak. Fit as a fiddle, every one of them. But when the time came to fight, they all turned back and ran and said, We can't. These are giants and we are grasshoppers. You know why they ran? Because their souls were lean. You know, we actually run from spiritual battles. Most Christians do not face spiritual battles. Think. Honestly, think. 
We are not able to sustain spiritual things when we are able to sustain things of the flesh. Without a blink, we can watch a three-hour movie. But try to separate yourself with God for three hours. We struggle. We struggle. How long is God's question? Psalm 4 and verse 2. How long, you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? We all know, we know it by heart. The world and its desires are passing away. We still seek it. The entire world, I mean the ancient uh, Indian sages used to say this whole world is a maya. It's an illusion. In some ways it is true, it's an illusion. It will pass away. It's not permanent. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? His glory. We are not seeking His glory. The first temptation, one of the first temptations Jesus had to face was with glory. The devil took Him to the top of the mountain and showed all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. We still bend our knee before glory. Bend our knee before glory. Almost all choices we make is connected with glory. Not utility. Glory. How long will you love worthlessness? Ask. Like FBI does a money trail. Do a time trail. What do I serve? So worthless things. Let's go to the next one. Psalm 62 verse 3. Because we have, we have to come to these things and ask difficult questions. How long will you attack a man? How long will you attack a man? That's what the Democrats do. Morning till evening. The whole media for four years attack one man. And hide everything. The falsehoods. The, the statistics. Statistics. Sometimes lie, sometimes don't. Statistics don't lie about US before COVID came. There's no economy like that, ever. Never in the history of the world has an economy boomed like that. He did more than any president did for any race in America. Yet, how long will you attack a man? How long? You never see a set of people who hate their country so much. And people are not. This is like what we say in English, burning your barn to kill the rats. How long? Come on. How long will... They, I mean, honestly, it's a political thing. They think by f- they, this is the four days they painted Trump black and then put Biden, so Biden looks very fair. It doesn't change anything. Biden is still Biden. <laughs> Hasn't changed anything. 
you know and that's what god is talking about by attacking something it doesn't change if you want to attack attack the powers of darkness it doesn't change anything how long will you attack a man maybe this is prophetic for us the democrats you shall be be slain all of you like a leaning wall and a tottering fence psalm 574 verse 10 oh god how long will the adversary reproach will the blas enemy blaspheme your name forever this should be our cry how long lord your name should be hallowed your name is mocked day and night day and night How long? This should be our cry. Lord, how long, Lord? Will the adversary reproach? How will will the enemy blaspheme your name forever, Lord? Thy kingdom come. Enough of this junk, Lord. Enough. I'm tired. The problem is people are not tired. How long? Proverbs 6:9. How long will you slumber o sluggard when will you <coughs> how when will you rise from your sleep when are you going to wake up from your spiritual sleep and your physical sleep how long when are our eyes going to open we are like jona fast asleep in the midst of a storm the church fast asleep the whole ship is shaking people are throwing their stuff left and right to lighten the ship every gentile in the ship is crying out to whatever god they know the man of god is fast asleep <coughs> man of god is fast asleep that's what god is saying how long will you sleep are we spiritually awake my question is the two questions how do you know the gospel has not been preached to the ends of the earth how do you know is it depend upon man no does any one ministry have be such a weak small ministry is able to reach from alaska to australia then think what is god doing with other ministries we don't even know of bigger and stronger more devout given into completely into fasting and prayer what god is doing through them how do you know the bride is not ready if you are not part of the bride does anybody in gtc think our standard of holiness is enough for jesus to take you no no then you haven't met holy people you haven't met people who are walking in the presence of god That's questions we need to ask. How long will you slumber? When are we going to wake up? When are we going to wake up? Jeremiah 4:14. Jeremiah 4 and verse 14. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? Wash your heart. Outwardly, everybody looks good. 
But God's not looking at anything out there. He's looking at the thoughts. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The thoughts inside you is evil. How long? They have taken residence there. That's what lodge means. It's part of your thinking process. You think evil constantly. Evil. How long was Jerusalem, he says. Wash your heart from wickedness. That's a sign of the last days. Sodom and Gomorrah. And Noah. Their intents and thoughts were evil continually. What does it mean? People always walk angry with somebody. Angry at the system. Angry at people. Angry, 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 angry. And what does that mean? It simply means this. Jeremiah 31 and verse 32. 22. 31 and 22. How long will you be glad about, O oh, you backsliding daughter? How long will you be glad? You are backsliding but you are happy. You're not going forward. You're going backward. Let me ask you this question. Let the joy, does the joy of your fellowship after church match the joy of your salvation? This is joy in fellowship. But does it match the joy of your salvation? It didn't for David. Everything was okay. Everything is fine. Country is at peace. Prosperity. Lives are all quiet. Bitsheba is now wife. But his cry is, I'm unhappy inside. Because you are unhappy with me. That's not a case. It's restore unto me the joy of my salvation. But the backsliders are all happy. These are rhetorical questions, okay? Each one knows which question applies. And then Jesus comes in Matthew seventeen seventeen. He asks this question. Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Put it into our perspective. Jesus looks at this generation and says, How long should I leave my Holy Spirit with you? How long? Shall I withdraw my spirit? How long? 150 days too long? So that one question, just don't go over it. 1 Kings 18, in verse 21, Elijah comes and asks that question, How long? How long? How long will he falter between two opinions? By now we should have made up our mind and said, Lord, the heck with the world. I don't want to be anything in the world which you don't want to be. My life is united with you. My heart is not united with Babylon. This is one of the first decisions Daniel makes. 
will look as if he is making a decision at the dinner table. But he is making very clear, I, ha I don't have two opinions, I have only one opinion. Even when it comes to eating, only one opinion. When there is a mandate, no one shall pray, only one opinion. When there is a mandate, no one, everyone shall bow to the idol, only one opinion. Very clear, these people are. Only one opinion. And whether life and death does not matter, only one opinion. Whether it is about food, whether it is about worship, whether it is about prayer, only one opinion. Not two. That's the book of Daniel. Only one opinion. Elijah is asking this question. Do you still have so many opinions? Only one opinion. This, the word of God is one whole. Written by 40 authors. 1500 years. One message. The kingdom of God and the king will prevail from the beginning till the end. And blessed is the man who bows his knee and confesses Jesus is Lord. We have no issues with confessing Jesus is Savior. Our issues are with confessing Jesus is Lord. The minute you confess Jesus is Lord, you have only one opinion. And we have a peep into what happens. Right? Let's go further down from 21 and see what happens. Elijah came to all the people. I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. Let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces. Lay it on the wood. Put no fire under it. I will prepare the other bull. Lay it on the wood. Put no fire under it. And then he makes this challenge. Then you call on the name of your gods. I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. This is the key. God who answers by fire, he is God. He did not say the God who answers by rain. What they want is rain. What everybody wants is blessings. Who is the God who is real? The God who answers by fire. The God who shows himself as holy is the God who is real. The gods of this world never show project themselves as holy. Tell me which God? Which God in any religion is holy? Nobody. And God says, blessings can be duplicated. Holiness cannot be. The devil can never be holy. Nor can the gods of this world be holy. They steal, they lie, they cheat, they steal others' wives. All of them. There's no righteousness in that. We need to ask ourselves, how do I know the God I worship is the real God? Because he's the God who answers with the fire in my life. Everybody's testimony is about signs and wonders and healing and blessing and all good, praise God. But after that, can it sustain him? It's fire that sustains. Rain will come, but it should come after the fire. And he gives them, you choose two bulls. You have hundreds of prophets. Build an altar, but put no fire. Fire should be put first. Underneath the wood, no fire. No fire. You can have everything. Everything. That was the sign that was shown to Moses. The fire that burns and does not consume. All the impurity is gone. Moses becomes a man of God. 
to the point God speaks through him. You know what he speaks through him? I will give you another prophet like him. Don't dare to disobey him. That is Jesus. And that was the vision he had seen years earlier. He had become that man. Consumed by fire, yet not consumed. These pictures are there. Choose one bull, prepare it first. You many call upon the name, but put no fire. And they do all that you got. You will see. They took the bull which was given them, they prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning till evening, saying, Oh Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no answer. And they leaped about the altar which they had made. Look at that verse 24, uh, 26. Okay? They do this regularly. And in the old days, Baal had answered. Baal had answered. So if you look at it, Elijah had locked up heavens. Except for dew and rain, many other things Baal answered. But rain was not coming. And now it's about fire. Fire also is not coming. This is what we need to understand. God has put something over here. Unless battles are fought like this in Matthew 18, 18, then we'll come back to this. 18, 18, Jesus said. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's what Elijah did. He just bound it up. Nothing is going to come. Nothing is going to happen. You go back over there, they are jumping, they are dancing, they are screaming from morning till evening. There is no voice. God says, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You engaged in this battle, all the other voices will cease in the lives of people so that they can hear my voice. The other voices will lose its power. Because the problem is, let's go back. The problem is there are so many voices. So many voices. Scripture says, but there was no voice. So many voices. People hear so many voices. Why do you believe you struggle? Because they are hearing so many voices. Let's leave the world aside. We are talking about the kingdom of God and God's people. Because Elijah is fighting for the soul of Israel. The people are supposedly saying they are fighting for the soul of America. To sell it to Baphomet. We are fighting. Why, why are we more zealous for U.S. than India? Because U.S. is a Christian country. It was formed on Judeo-Christian values. Not this nation. This is a different. Here the gospel has to be preached. Then we have to fight for the soul of that nation. That it doesn't go into darkness. That nation falls. It will have a rippling effect on everybody. If that nation falls on November 3rd, they will make mask mandate, mandatory. Every nation will follow. They will make vaccination mandatory. Every nation will follow. But if that nation stands, that nation stays. We have time. We are not talking about America. We are talking about a land that was framed by these principles of the kingdom of God. And there is still there a remnant who is fighting for it day and night. And we have to join our hearts and our spirits with that group of people. And why is there so much confusion in among the people of God? Because they are hearing so many voices. Why are they hearing so many voices? Because there are no Elijahs who have bound the voices up. No voice. No one answered. And they are leaping and jumping and doing all crazy things. So it was at noon that Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud. 
For he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy. He is on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud. They didn't realize he was mocking. They took it as advice. And they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom. Because they are gods. Have to have blood. And still happening. Blood is being offered. Children, whatever. Unicorn and cups. Those who are hearing and know what I am talking about, know what it is. What happens in the coins. All kind of bloodshed is taking place. Knives and lances until blood gushed out of them. Midday was past. They prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening. They are prophesying, 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 but no no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. The prophets are all prophesying like Kenneth Copeland. Vaccine is coming. I now come on COVID-19 to leave. And then says vaccine will come. Prophesying. Two prophets are standing on one side and say, I'm prophesying, it's 12 o'clock, my one fire will come, no fire came. And the fellow said, no, the date has been wrong. Remember, so many people prophesied about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So many dates were given. These are the prophets of Baal. And prophesying, no, by 2.30, fire will fall, nothing happened. Prophesying, 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 no voice, no effect. Remember, India election, last year? So many of them prophesy, oh, I see a young generation of leaders coming up and they're going to take their reins. There will be a paradigm shift in the country. The old group came back. And they don't even have the decency to come back and say, I made a mistake. I didn't hear right. That's why we say we don't prophesy. <laughs> we don't prophesy. We do not know. We think of God, what his plans are, even number third, we don't know which way it will go. We still believe in the heart of our heart, we get four years. They prophesied, morning till evening we jumped, 29. They cut to themselves, blood is flowing, prophecies are happening. But, no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. That's interesting, no voice. The demonic realm is shut, nobody is able to speak. No one answered their cry. And third, no one paid. God blinded the entire second realm that they did not even see what was happening to pay attention. Completely. Completely. God says, did you see my power? And you're running after all these silly things. They just used one man. Shut everything up. No voice. No one will answer. Nobody even knows what's happening over here. These are questions we need to ask. These are questions. We have to get we have to engage into these things. Engage into these things. Preaching alone won't work. Preaching is proclamation. But in the prayer closet it has to be an all out battle. The Bible makes it very clear. It's it's wrestling. That's the most intense battle. Because when the beast rises He's got seven heads and ten horns. He always duplicates God. So there are going to be seven principalities and ten rulers underneath it. We do not know how it is. It's rising. The beast is rising. And beast is Babylon sitting over a multitude of nations. And everybody has drunk from her cup. Everybody. Ahab and Jezebel. The spirit will rise. 
God says, I don't need many people, I just need a few Elijahs. That's enough. Elijah, once I'll have an Elisha. I'll have a Jehu. People like Jehu. We need. And that's what God is talking about. Will you fight this battle? If you don't fight this battle, because the battle is for fire. If fire doesn't come, people's eyes will not be opened. And people will not destroy the powers of darkness and their servants and whatever is influencing them. They will not destroy it. Everything is dependent upon one thing. Fire has to come. The God who answers by fire is fire. Is God. Go to verse 30. Verse 30. Then, it was time for evening sacrifice. We, we, we skip 29? Okay. Then, Eli, it, it should be a word there, it was time for the evening sacrifice. Yeah, when midday was past, until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. That means from morning till evening they were given time. You have to look at, God says, even time is on your side. Time is on your side. They were given, let us say, 12 hours. You just need one hour. Within one hour, Babylon will be destroyed. One hour. You don't need time. Lord, I need so much time. God says, no. You need my heart. You need my heart. Morning till evening was night. Evening was given to them. Elijah, this is the absolute confidence and security that comes when you know you are in God's will and you are heard clearly from God. That confidence, remember Elijah's confidence, first three and a half years ago, I who stand before God will telling you until my word comes, it's not you, no rain. That's the confidence. I have stood before God, I have heard from God clearly. Then it comes, get all of them tomorrow to Mount Carmel. Give them first choice. And gives them maximum time, extra time, till evening you go. Should have been till afternoon, then afternoon to evening is my time. 50-50, no. You take 90. No issues. No issues. Can bring your best. No issues. Can gather everybody. No issues. Now finish, tired? All of you look weak. Lost a lot of blood, right? All very weak. Okay, sit down now. Let me do my turn now. Verse 30 says, How does it begin? Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. That is how it all begins. We have to respond to that. We want fire, but we won't go near. We are like the children of Israel when fire came on the mountain, when the law was, they saw the fire and they turned around and ran for their lives. But the invitation of God is always the same. Come near to me. We have to be patient with the people. Impatient with the prophets of Baal, but patient with the people. No? We can't give up on the people because the entire ministry is for people. We get them back to God. That's the whole purpose. God loves them, therefore I love them. It's not I love them. God loves them. God loves them. Therefore, I love them. And it doesn't matter. They are blinded. They are faltering between two opinions. They don't know what to do. 
And Jesus said, every time he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He saw the Pharisees, he was mad at them. But he had compassion on the crowds, the multitudes. Look at the people on the streets. If you have compassion, they are lost. They are just lost. He says, come near to me. This is the invitation of God. Come near to me. Okay. Please understand this is important. This is important. Look at the prophets of Baal. Look at the prophet of God. You don't see the prophets of Baal inviting the people to anything. For the prophets of Baal, this was about them. This was about power. This was about money. This was about prestige. This was about fame. This is about them. The prophet of God. This is about God. To bring the people to God. There's no, there's no invitation. Come near me. Come near me. No. There's an invitation of God. Come near me. You have to hear that. When you get into your prayer closet, you will hear God saying, let's look at the invitations of God. Right? We saw it in the Nepali service, but we don't feel, you don't understand Nepali. So we look at it in English, Matthew 11 and verse 28 and 29. The first invitation of Jesus Christ. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Why does he call us to come near him? To give us rest, not to give us work. The enemy calls you to him and gives you more work and more burden and more misery. Hmm? And he makes you feel it was a good life. LG. Life is good. That was the appliances the Israel carried in the desert. Remember? LG. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember? They are all sitting there together and talking. Do you remember how it was in Egypt? We ate fish and meat and leek and garlic and onions at no price. Now narrative has changed. What's it? We were the landlords. Egyptians were the slaves. They served us. Do you remember how we, how we sat on that beach chair by the river Nile and the Egyptians were giving us tandoori chicken? Do you remember? At no price. No price. See, when you talk about your good old days, it should be only about the days when you were school and before. After that, once you knew what good and evil, it was never good until you encountered Christ. You know, I don't even remember those days. Childhood, yes. Fantastic. That's when you were innocent of evil. You don't even think about it. Everybody talks about those good old days. When he calls you, he calls you for rest. He calls you for it's a spiritual rest. It's a rest. The thing is that unless our spiritual eyes and our spiritual senses are open, we will not experience that rest even when we go through that rest. Did you get it? You're wearing an asbestos suit. You can go through that fire and not feel the fire. 
in the same way. If your spiritual senses are closed, you can go through that rest and never experience that rest. Forty years, nobody could touch Israel. They were actually at rest. Nobody experienced that rest. None was sick. None was weak. And God said, you know what? I carried you. But they didn't know it. And we don't realize for so many Christians, it is the same thing. He has carried us from 2019 to 20. He will take us to 21. But we experience no rest. So he's carrying us. He's brought us through every crisis. Everything the enemy could do, he has thrown at us. But he brought us through. But we experience no rest. That is why God said, remember the important words after Matthew 6.33? Verse 34 is important. 33 everybody knows. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you and nobody does it. But 34. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It says, I promised you rest for today, not for tomorrow. How can you rest for tomorrow? Tomorrow hasn't come, but we worry. And because we worry about tomorrow, we never have rest today. Give us this daily bread. What is the first thing? Rest. Rest. That's what Jesus is. You have to labor to enter into that rest. And you labor early in the morning in your prayer closet, enter into the rest. The rest of the day is fine. I heard. It's okay. What did you hear first in your prayer closet? You know what you hear first prayer in your closet? You're not going to die today. I've ordained your day for you. Go ahead. Today is not the day. I work for you today. You heard. Thank you, Lord. I can do now my work now because my work proceeds from your rest. Instead, we worry about tomorrow. Don't think about tomorrow's menu today, okay? Today's menu is sufficient under today, okay? Worry. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's a first call. And when we listen to that call, and we decide to go to Jesus Christ, in John chapter 1 and verse 39, when we decide to go to Christ Jesus, we hear the second call. He said to them, they, he looked at them following him and he said, what do you seek? They said, where do you stay? He said, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. What does it mean? The second call is to come, see his life and stay with him. Abide with me. Don't just check in and check out. Check in and check out. Like Stay with me. They just stayed with him one day. That was enough for Andrew to go and say, I found the Messiah. I found him. This is the Messiah. You know, we always struggle about the king and the kingdom and the Lord because we don't stay with him. We check in and check out. Sunday morning we check in. By afternoon we check out. <laughs> to check in, of course, Sammy sends you the reminder. It comes on your phone, GTC Life, and you check in. Then benediction over, we check out. We don't abide with him. But the invitation is, come and see. Think about it. This is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe, inviting us to come and see 
how he lives. Come and see my life. Come and stay. Come and live with me. It's an incredible invitation. Not only that I will give you rest with all your labor, burden, everything. You can come and stay with me. The call of salvation is a call to a life. Not occasions. It is a life. He didn't say I have to come to give you some miracles. I have come to give you some advice. He says, no, I have come to give you life. Life in abundance. Where do you get it? If you abide in me. Stay with me. The first experience of the first set of disciples, two of them who followed, was to experience life with Jesus Christ. I don't know what it was like. We don't know what happened there. But one thing is that they went out and said, he's the Messiah. Andrew went and told Peter, I met the Messiah. Okay. Once you have stayed with him, you have experienced him. The third invitation goes out. John chapter 7 and verse 37. John 7, 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Anyone thirsts. It's an invitation. Okay. But that's not what we do. We don't see Jesus like that. We see him more like a vendor. This is a vending machine. Okay. And we look. Pepsi, Sprite, Coke. All these are there. 7-Up, whatever these things over there. We have our different thirst. It's not thirsty for Jesus. We are thirsty for other things. We expect him to quench our thirst. Supply it. He didn't say, come to me, I will give you drinks. He said, come to me and drink. It's a difference. But our mind is that, if I go to him, he will give me my drink. He's a bartender, AOC. And there are so many pastors like that. You know, I've seen bartenders in old time movies. They can dance and mix a drink also. Have you seen pastors? They can mix you. Tell me what you want. I will give you that, brother. I can mix it for you nicely. But that's not what he says. Come to me and drink. Drink of me. Drink of me. The invitation is to drink of the Spirit of God. He is the river of life flowing from the Father's throne. This is the conversation between the Messiah, the seventh one, and the Samaritan woman. Married five times, divorced, living with the sixth one, still unsatisfied, nobody to accompany her, she's still alone, and the seventh one comes into our life. Then he looks at her and says, if you drink from this well, we're talking about Jacob's well, right? We drink from this well, we'll be always thirsty. But I tell you, the water that I give, if you drink, you will never be thirsty again. You'll be satisfied. You know why people are not satisfied? Shopping, 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 eating, 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 eating. Mind is always on these things. Online shopping. Amazon is he's, he's, he's becoming richer and richer and richer. Because we are feeding him. Hmm? I don't know when. We have Amazon Prime. We don't have Jesus Prime.
says, drink of me. Let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. This is an invitation of Jesus Christ. Come and drink of me. And you drink of me, you will never, you drink the water that I give. And if you look at it, it will very clearly say, it is talking about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. You look at the subsequent words, very clear he was talking about the Holy Spirit who was not yet given because he had not been glorified yet. Right? Out of his, he who believes in me, has the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Okay? Right? But this is for concerning the Spirit. What are we asked to drink of? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And then he says, it will just overflow from your life. Contented people. Those who are contented in their spirit, out of them the Holy Spirit will. Who is discontented out of their mouth, only the world will flow. The world always brings discontent. These are two pictures. From Jesus' mouth flows the Spirit of God. The devil also spews out a flood after the woman to consume her. The church. Lies and deception. It only brings unsatisfaction. Unsatisfaction. And people are dissatisfied. You know, God has given us such a beautiful opportunity of five months. You know, separate yourself from the world. Spend time with me. Enjoy me. You could have come out of it really, really contented. Men and women and children could have come out contented. I have drunk of Jesus. I am thirsty for the world no more. Because otherwise you will be thirsty. If you are not contented with that, you will be always thirsting for something else. Okay, In Matthew 10, sorry, Mark 10 and verse 21 is another call to good people. <laughs> the good people. Jesus looked at him, loved him. No, he looks at so many young people. He's a young man. Right? It's a good young man. Looks at him and says, One thing you lack. Okay. One thing. Go your way. Sell whatever you have, give it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. He says, It's one thing that is holding you back. Not two things. He doesn't have two things. Only one thing. One thing is holding back. And ask yourself, are you that person whose one thing is holding you back? Only one thing. Come. Take up the cross and follow me. Come. One thing is holding you back. It's like the monkey with the hand, paw in the, in the vessel. One thing is holding him back, that banana. God is saying, the banana or your life? He says banana. <laughs> I mean, it would have looked wonderful if verse 22 were to say, he left everything and followed him. But he did. Think about it. Think, simply think about it. The call of God, how many good people have rejected it? How many good people rejected the call of God? Not bad people. Good people is a good guy. We change the scene a little later. A bad guy. Who is also rich. But through ill-gotten wealth. His name is Zacchaeus. To him said, come down. 
coming to your house happy this is a rich guy young guy good guy that's a rich old all his wealth was through evil means but he left everything will you accept this call that one thing that is holding you back that is what is that one thing maybe resentment letting go of somebody in the past that is your riches riches is whatever you treasure your treasure is wherever your mind is what is on your mind most of the time will you just let go will you just let go come pick up your cross and follow me sadly that man turned around and walked away these are all invitations of jesus christ fifth invitation of jesus christ this is for people who are genuinely following jesus they follow jesus they love jesus they serve jesus but the problem is they are workaholics not alcoholics they are workaholics to them jesus has something to say mark 6 30 and 31 they have zeal they love serving jesus everything mark 6 30 and 31 the apostles gathered to jesus and told him all things both what they had done and what they had very excited lot you know today's ministry was great we preached this we did this we preached this we did this jesus said come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while come aside with me don't let it go into your head don't ever put your relationship with me above your work you do for me don't make that mistake don't make that mistake and people don't realize most homes have collapsed ultimately the basic unit is the home the marriage the home most homes have collapsed is because men and women put work ahead of relationship and god never does it never does it so he asked the man What do you think are the, the most important commandments? He said, "Love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself." On this hang the entire law. This thing, like I keep telling, God did not create man primarily to work first. He had work. Work was given as God's nature, but to relate to Him, to God first. Angels don't relate. They are workers. They don't relate like us. workers this is where we go wrong come aside we have to make that choice every day to come aside by yourself to a deserted place if you don't have space get into your bathroom and shut the door it's a deserted place especially mothers with small children they'll all stand outside it's okay i mean need some time aside that will get burnt out work becomes misery a drag and you're not able to hear daily directions how to go ahead with you and after some time you know what there is no satisfaction in your work and all you can tell of is about yeah i remember that time it was really good but what about now you know why because you didn't come aside by yourself to a deserted place you didn't separate yourself unto god and to god it's a different experience altogether the rules are very clear right from when moses ordained aaron and the sons and all down to the sons of zadok remember in ezekiel god says 
when you come to minister before me, no sweat, only linen clothes. No wool, nothing. Just come there and minister before me. When you go out, change your garments. Change your garments. Change your garments. When you come to me, you come in rest. When you go out there, there will be a lot of work. But don't take this there. Take this there. Your experience with God is very personal. And to be valued. Don't relate to God and man the same way. God, you are awesome. Honey, you are awesome. Don't. It's not talking about words. It's talking about how you relate. How you relate to God and how you relate to man. Don't relate the same way. Same way. That's when danger happens. There's only one God. And you relate to Him. And to happen to that, you have to come aside. Come aside. Don't get excited about your work. It's irrelevant. Nobody knows the judgment about any one of our work. It will only know that day. The way, what weight of glory we have. Sometimes it will be two ounces. After 40 years of ministry, two ounces. God says, that is all Lord. How can it be? He says, it was all you. It was not me. It was all about you. It's not about me. Come apart with Jesus. When you come apart with Jesus, look at what Jesus does. John 21 and verse 12. This is after resurrection. After showing himself. They still go back depressed, discouraged. They go back fishing. They catch nothing. We all know the story. Jesus is at the shore. They are in the water. It is not clear. Jesus says, friends, did you catch anything? They said nothing. He said, put the net on the other side. Something about believers. Believers who have been called by God. You try to do something else. You will catch nothing. You will catch nothing. You will catch nothing. You will be miserable. You will be empty. Because that's not what he called you for. This is not about the world. This is what you God's children and God's servants especially. God's servants especially. You catch nothing. But at his word, when they put it... It was coming in. 156 fish or something they caught. 58 or 56. And Peter immediately recognized. Takes him all the way back to his first encounter. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. And the others come behind. He jumps in. Swims across. They bring. And Jesus. They find a strange sight. Jesus is lit a fire. There is bread and there is fish. So when did where did you get the bread from, Jesus? Where did you get the bread from? And where did you get the fish from? He said, Did you catch anything? Yeah, bring some of yours. Basically, God is telling that, you know what? I don't need you. I don't need you. But I will use you. I don't need your talents, but I will use your talents. I don't need your money, but I will use your money. I don't need your life, but I will use your life. Don't need. I don't need you, but I will use you. 
And you know what? He's cooked for them. He's cooked for them. He says, dine with me. Come, eat breakfast. Eat breakfast. Imagine, you would have preferred, today's timings work, you would have preferred dinner. See, he never changes order. He says, you begin with me, you don't end with me. You begin with me and go through the day. You will have rest. Come eat breakfast. We want to come tired after office and nodding off, no, reading our Bible, Lord. I'm so tired into thy hands, I lay myself. He said, you don't. <laughs> you see another person chirpy through all the day, he's working, working, working. He said, brother, what is his secret? I had breakfast. You had breakfast? I also had breakfast. No, I had breakfast with the Lord. Breakfast with the Lord. You do not know the very God who says, pray this way, give me this day my daily bread is also the one who cooks the bread for you. He makes your breakfast. He says, come. Come feed of me. Feed of my life. Why are you so tired? Why are you so worn out? Nothing is going to change. Things will only get worse. But you don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be burdened. No. He says, you are tired and worn out because you do not have breakfast with me. Imagine, no? Come and eat. I, I want to eat that fish more than that bread. <laughs> I'm malu, no? I'll give the bread to my wife and I will eat the fish. <laughs> we will share equally. I'll eat the fish. Imagine their privilege, right? Think about him. Think about God. He's never changed. He makes breakfast for them. You know, like I was telling, uh, in the all ancient systems, until electricity came and life started changing, people had an early supper, dinner, by 6 o'clock, even in those young days when we were growing up. Everybody ate dinner very fast. And uh, those places... By 4 o'clock in the morning, the sun is up. Okay, it's up. When you have father and father, no, it's up. So, if you have your um, supper at 6 in the evening, and you have your breakfast at 6 in the morning, 12 hours have gone by. That's why it's called break fast. You're breaking your fast. Okay? Breaking your fast. Imagine, you break your fast with Jesus. And he cooks for you. He feeds you. So these invitations are viewed. When, when Elijah makes a call, come near me, it is to give them rest. It is to, so that they would learn to abide with him. It is so that they could come to him and drink of him. So that they would feed of him. Because that's his experience. Three and a half years. Did you have water? How he struggled? He said, I had no issues. Did you eat? He says, every day. Where were you carried? But there's no house in carriage. He says, yeah, but my bread came every day. He fed me from his table. His table. And then where you, I was at Zidon. Zidon? Ahab and Jezebel have been looking for you all these days. Where were you? Right under their nose. Did you eat? Yeah, I ate well. Why? Because don't you know it is written? He spreads a table for me in the wilderness, in the presence of my enemies. If your eyes were to be open today, you would see our enemies, spiritual enemies. 
dark and diabolical creatures all around, every second wishing to destroy us. But we are eating. It's life. That's why we are not destroyed. Come and eat breakfast, he said. Come and eat of me. Come and eat. When we have gone through these responses, then we'll hear another one in Matthew 5 and verse 34. This is reserved for another day. No, not 5. Matthew 20. 5.34 Matthew 25.34 And the king will say to those on his right hand Come you blessed of my father Inherit the kingdom prepared for you From the foundation of the world Come You are blessed of the father This is what we were talking yesterday about the inheritance The kingdom prepared for you That's your inheritance Take your kingdom Take your kingdom. Prepare for you. So in that one inauguration, come near. There is so many things hidden to when God says, come near. Now, what is he calling us to? What is he calling us to? Come near. Eat. Come near. Okay. So we have to ask ourselves, Lord, let's go back to Elijah. First Kings 18 and verse 30. Not 40. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. Okay. This is what God is saying. Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. The first thing we have to do is he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. This is the first step towards restoration. The altar is gone. Our prayer altars are no longer there. Altars are gone. Altar is a place where the spiritual and the physical meet. Whether it is a demonic or divine. They all meet at an altar. Meet at an altar. What has happened to is that God's altar is broken down. Baal's altar is standing. Do you notice? Baal's altar was standing. They didn't fix. They didn't have to fix. It's already standing there. They didn't have to worry about Baal's altar. And honestly, if believers were to look into their hearts, you will see Baal's altar is standing. It's God's altar. Like I said, it's not that you did not wake up in the morning. It's that you did not go to God. You went somewhere else to the God of this world. Those things took your attention. Took the best out of you. A lot of people will wait till they retire to serve God. Meaning they gave their best to Baal. Best to Baal. Daniel begins as a young man giving his best to God. I will not defile myself. I will keep my best for you Lord. Best. Now if you wasted your life it doesn't matter. Don't worry. Your time starts now. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new person. Old has passed away. We have a fresh start today. Today decide, I'll repair my altar. I will repair my altar. And it is important. It doesn't, don't skirt God's methods. Do not skirt God's ways. In Psalm 103 and verse 7. Or verse 8. 7, I think. 
he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children. That is God's ways. Don't change his ways. Don't make do shortcuts. Lord, I'm waiting for this. God says, you will keep waiting for this. My way is this. First fix your altar. Fix your altar. Remember Moses praying this prayer years earlier? Show me your ways. And God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. So in his way, only we experience his presence. And in his presence, there is rest. And the first thing, this is revival plan 4.0. There's no other way. If you want revival in your personal life, it starts with personal life. Because we are all individuals. You may have five people in a home. But it doesn't mean the Spirit of God will fall upon all five. Because only one may be ready. One may be ready to repair the altar. And scripture says, first thing they did was repair the altar. The altar is where you encounter God. It's a place of significance. Because that's where you encountered God. You remember when Noah came out of the ark? After lockdowns, there were many lockdowns in the Bible. There, Noah was locked down with eight people, seven people, his family, for months together. Locked down from the entire world. Whole world was destroyed. Ark came to rest. Noah came out. The first thing he does is he builds an altar. First thing he does is build an altar. Not anything else. He built an altar. And offered a sacrifice. And it was smelling that sacrifice, God said, Okay, I will not destroy the whole world by water again. You know why God made that covenant? LGBTQ took that covenant, stole that covenant, which is not theirs, the rainbow. You know why He made that covenant? Because one man, when he received the mercy of God, chose to worship first. So God made a covenant. Which we still stand on that covenant. One thing we know. The world is not going to be destroyed by water. It's by fire. You know why? Because one man made an altar. And worshipped. Altars are powerful. God saw that man's altar. God saw that man's sacrifice. And he made a covenant with mankind. Made a covenant with mankind. Think about it. You know why? Because he built an altar. We know about Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 7. After tarrying, halting between two opinions for many years in Haran. Two opinions. Should I follow God or should I follow Daddy? Daddy one. So he's stuck in. And this is what happens. You know, There are two things which you have to be careful about flesh. Flesh that pulls you and flesh that follows you. When God has asked you to leave, leave both. No? Terah pulled him, Lord followed him. It will cost him. Both. Okay? Caught between two opinions. Finally, Terah is dead. Abraham hears. He moves into the promised land. And as soon as he meets, comes into the promised land, scripture says, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Immediately he builds an altar, meaning it's a sacred place. We don't need in the new covenant sacred places. We have sacred times. 
Jesus had a sacred time. And wherever he was, he would look for a deserted place. Any deserted place would be there. That's all. I don't want to be disturbed. I don't want to disturb anybody. It's as simple as that. His formula was this. I don't want to disturb anybody. Because I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to cry out to my father. Two, I don't want to be disturbed by anybody. He always found a solitary place. That became a sacred place. A sacred place. Oh, I wish in rapture everything takes place. The angels will come and show us, you know, this is where your Lord worshipped on this day. This place, you know, in Israel. This place, you know, everybody goes to Jerusalem. Let me show you sacred places. These are all sacred places. This is where he used to pray in the days of his flesh. These are all marked by the angels. God, pray to God here. No. Do we have? We don't need sacred places. We have sacred times. We have an altar. And that's how Abraham's beginning in the promised land begins with an altar. Begins. That's how his life begins in the promised land. 1 to 5, 6 is almost about the blessings and everything. Then he comes into the promised land. God meets him there. He builds an altar. And after that you will see his life is defined by altars. Defined by altars. Now we, have, we can hear all these things and become very casual about it. But the question we have to ask is, is your life defined by altars? How will we survive what is coming if you don't have an altar? How will you have the fire of God unless you fix the altar? It's the first thing he does is there. He fixes the altar. Fixes the altar. The first thing you see in Abraham's life in the promised land is he builds an altar. You see, we need an altar. Why is it important is to have an altar is this. It's not that the altar will make us perfect. It is because imperfect people have a place to come back where they will be made right again. We will never be perfect until that we put away this tent. But we know in our imperfections we can come and meet our perfect God every day. Because after that the narrative changes. There is famine in the land. He goes to Egypt. He messes up like no man. Sells his wife to the Pharaoh. Goes rich. And then God has to supernaturally intervene. He comes out of Egypt. He must have put his head down in shame. Everything, whatever. And the next chapter, chapter 13. And verse 8 says the difference. Uh, 13, 18 if I'm right. Before that, uh, it's not that, that is the third altar. Before that, one more altar. That is chapter 13 and verse 4. 3 and 4, yeah. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Sheepish Abraham. Repentant Abraham. He came to that place between I and Bethel. Where he had built his first altar. He had goofed up big time. But he comes back to the altar. Puts it right. The altar is not just a place where we encounter God. Altar is a place where God encounters us and puts us right. Where we have failed. There's only one place. There's only one person. Who can put us right. It is God. Okay. 
then he receives the purpose of his life. Lot is gone, all flesh is gone. Now it is just him, Sarah and the multitude that is with him. We shall walk the land. We sing that song. We shall walk the land. It was told to Abraham. As soon as he gets his purpose, we see verse 18. He builds his third altar. Or his next encounter, his next altar. He moves to Mamre. Moved his tent, went and dwelt by the terebin trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Builds another altar. That's where God will visit him and come have a dinner or lunch. He builds his third altar. In Genesis 26 and verse 25. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Did you look at that? You get the order? You do the other way. We will dig a well first, get some water, then build an altar. Meaning, we'll get a job and then worship God. He worshipped God and got a job. You see, you and I don't need any reason to worship God. He is worthy to be worshipped. That's the difference. He built an altar, pitched his tent, and then they dug for a well. It's interesting, right? It's interesting. There is an altar, there is a tent, and there is a well. That's not how we do. First we dig a well, we got water, let's pitch our tent. And then after thought, let's build an altar also. Otherwise God will get mad. We think our God is like the Canaanite God who gets always mad. Not the man of God. First he builds an altar. Then he pitches his tent. He says, you know what? Whatever happens, I'm going to stay close to God. Then dig for a well. Get, get the ways of God. Learn it from the ways of men. Godly men. All these people, their lives were defined by altars. Defined by altars. And altars matter. Altars matter. Our altars matter. Years later, Jacob will run from his father's house because his brother is planning to kill him. So his mother makes excuse and says, go to my uncle, my brother's house and come back later. Go. And scripture says, he is in the wilderness. Same place where his father had built his altar. Same area. And he's in the wilderness. Sun has set. It is dark. Poor fellow. I don't know how his mother sent him. He did not have anything to keep under his head. He put a stone under his head and slept as a pillow. Think for a minute. What is under his head? Stone. You know what God had said? Earth shall be under iron, iron, and heaven shall be brass. That's the way it should have been for Isaac. Stole, lied, ran. What made the difference? I believe it was the stone. I believe that stone was from one of the stones that had fallen from the altar his grandfather had built and encountered. Next thing he knows is heaven is open. And God is speaking to him. He had never spoken to him before. This is what Paul tells to Timothy. The faith that was in your grandmother, which was passed on to your mother, is in you. How does parents live a spiritual inheritance? By having a vibrant praying altar in their lives. 
They don't worry. You have an altar where you have met God. And because you have met God in the altar, you know your children and your grandchildren are secure because you have met Him there. And He has given you a promise about generation after generation after generation. You will always have in your remnant somebody who will be faithful to me because I will not forget your devotion. I will be merciful towards a thousand generations of those who love me. Altar. Instead, we early in the morning we rise, wake them up, and take them for cricket coaching, music coaching, hockey coaching, everywhere. We don't spend time at the altar for them. Finally, Genesis thirty-three, and verse twenty. And he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel. This is Jacob. Jacob's life is also full of altars. Question God is asking us today is Are you haltering between fault this thing between two opinions? The thing is that. As long as you hold between two opinions, you receive nothing from God. Because a double-minded person receives nothing from God. You may receive from Baal and name it God, but he's not receiving it from God. First, be single-minded. To be single-minded, the way is take a step towards God. Every step you take towards God is a step away from the world. Come near me. Come near. It's a step towards God. What is happening is your opinions are now converging. You're becoming one in your mind. You're leaving something and moving towards something. You're making a choice. You're making. It could be as simple as switching the channels. From carnal to spiritual. Changing your music you listen from carnal to spiritual. Maybe simple things like Daniel changing your eating habits. It's a spiritual decision. Changing how you dress. God created sex. He didn't create people to be sexy. No, that's not from God. That's from the devil. If you look through the Bible and look through history, if what is God's dress called? Modesty. Modesty, always. Modesty. That's God's dress code. You can dress whatever you want, but be sure it is modest in God's eyes, not man's eyes. Man may say you are modest today. That some of the people who are on the streets, they may look more modest according to today's culture, but prostitutes used to dress like that 20 years ago. Culture doesn't define these things. God does. So when you take one step towards God, let God tell you where he wants you to take that step. You leave something and move towards something. And then you repair your altar. The altar that has broken down. Family altars have broken down. Broken down. Altar of Baal is there. And at that altar and at that table, empowered by demons, Jezebel's table is full of guests. 850 people eat there. God's prophets are hiding in caves and have to be fed bread and water. 
Another main man has to be, raven has to bring him food. Jezebel's prophets are all fed well. Fat. God is asking these questions to us. Will we repair our altar? Move towards God. Listen to that cry. Come. Come near me. Call goes out. Come. 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 You need an altar. You know why you need an altar? As I close. Romans 12.1 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living. How can you have a sacrifice without an altar? Sacrifice demands an altar. Sacrifice demands an altar. Every sacrifice demands an altar. Every sacrifice demands fire. God says, I'm asking you to be a living sacrifice. That's the bush that is burning and yet it's not consumed. He says, do you have an altar? Did you repair your altar? Yes, Lord, my altar is ready. What shall I offer yourself? But Lord, how can I did do that for you? I offered my son on the altar for you. He died. You don't have to. You're not called to die. You're called to live. He died for you so that you would live for him. A living sacrifice. Please remember that. That doesn't change. Your altar can be anywhere. It's a sacred place. No edict of any king can stop that. Daniel's bedroom was his altar. And when the king said you cannot pray, he went and offered his daily sacrifice. This morning we have heard a few things. It's a spiritual battle that is. Unless we deal. We look at Ahab and Jezebel in the spiritual form later. How it works. How it works. And you need to realize that's the most powerful force that is operating now operating now, destroying families, cultures, everything. The spirit of Jezebel and Ahab working. You have to be careful about it, very, very careful about it. You have to confront the prophets of Baal. Otherwise, it is not going to change. If you don't fight this spiritual battle, people will not turn back to God. There has to be a true spiritual encounter with powers of darkness. Because they are not stopping. They are not stopping. They are not stopping. They are cutting themselves, shedding blood, crying, shouting, leaping, day and night. Yesterday was very special because it was new moon for them. Rituals were happening. So many children would have died yesterday. Blood would have been shed like crazy. Who has the power to stop it? Church. This is my prayer. The church should get so on fire for God and pray that they would be afraid to go to their altars. Because the terror of the Lord would strike upon them. And innocent lives, innocent lives would be saved. To fight this battle. You win there, you win here. You lose there, you lose here. And God is not going to do anything. Because he said, I have given you everything that you need. You have power, 
you have my word, I've given you authority, and I've told you to put me first. Change your perspective. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Repair that altar. Put God first. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We look to you, Lord. This has to be received individually, Lord. Only you can light this fire. On the day of Pentecost, they were gathered in one place, in one accord, 120. But today, by the edicts of governments, the church has been isolated and separated. We cannot gather in one place. Yet we can be in one accord. Through your spirit. Through your word. And wherever we are. Different nations. Different towns. Different homes. We can build our altar again. You said the fat should be forever offered to the Lord. Our best. Pray, Father, during this season, homes will start building their altars again. And early in the morning, the people would be found at the altar, offering themselves in prayer, in praise, in proclamation, and then come out and find the burden is light. The work is easy. Because we entered into his rest, gave him our best. And when we come into that altar, we find he was there before us. The fire was lit. The bread is ready. Breakfast is there. And we hear him say, come, dine with me. You are the giver, forever giver. Even when we go there to give you, we see you are already there to give us. Oh, help us to know, Lord. No one, no one ever has lost giving his life to Christ. Never, never, Lord, never. For you are no man's debtor. The Baals and the Baphomets just take and eat and live beside misery, infusion and death. But my God comes to give life and life in abundance. At his table every day, there is life. And you call us, come, dine with me. Drink of me. And your word ends by the bride and the spirit saying, if anyone is thirsty, come, drink freely. The bride says, come, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Let the call go out to the ends of the earth. 
The wedding feast is ready. The banqueting table is ready. There is a call from God going to the ends of the earth. Come. Come. All of the universe has waited for this hour. And the call is coming. Come. 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 Don't tarry anymore. Don't delay anymore. Wherever you are in your homes, just bend your knee to God. Now, if you have never surrendered before, this is your hour. This is an altar call. This is an altar call. If you are a father, you can kneel before God, a mother, the children. If you are alone in your hostel room, wherever you are, take this call. I don't see you, but God sees you. Take a call. Lord, I heard, I am coming back, Lord. I am coming back, Lord. Like the prodigal son, Lord, I am sick and tired of this world. It's big spill over there. Sick, Lord, sick. I'm coming back, Lord. I'm coming back to you, Lord. In my father's house. Even the servants are fed well. They have plenty. While I'm hungry, miserable. Lord, if my soul were to be seen, it is so lean. The bones of my soul are sticking out. You can count the ribs, Lord. I am famished, Lord. The front of my stomach is sticking to the back, Lord. That's how famished I am. Yes, there is money in the account. Yes, the wardrobe is full. Yes, there is food packed in the fridge. But Lord, the state of my soul, only you see, I am dry. I am famished. I am coming back to you, Lord. I am coming back to you, Lord. I am coming back to you. Meet me, Lord. I know you are faithful. If you said, draw near to me, you also promise, I will draw near to you. Cleanse me, Lord. Wash me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. The rest of my life, I want to walk with you. I'm tired of flesh. I'm tired of company of flesh. I want to be in your company. I want to be in the company of your people. Today is a new day, Lord. Today is a new day, Lord. Let your fire fall and consume everything that stands between you and me, Lord. Everything in my life, whatever it is. Doesn't matter how long it has been there. How precious it was all these years. Consume it. Let it go. Let it go, Lord. Because your fire only removes bondage. It does not consume the holy. Daniel's three friends went into the fire bound, came out free. Those who walk through your fire will only experience the liberty of your Holy Spirit. We come, Lord, to the altar. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice and say, Lord, we hold back nothing. Take us. Use us for your glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.
we just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. We just glorify you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. To thy hands, Lord, we commit ourselves. We are safe. We are safe there, Lord. We are safe. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. It's yours and yours alone. For in Jesus' name we pray. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.